rest of us, we're going to be in the book of Exodus in chapter number 7. If you want to open your Bibles, verses 14 through 25. We're going to be continuing in The Great Escape. This is our study and our walk through the book of Exodus. To get us caught up from last week uh, in our message, the, the rod of faith, as, Aaron, as Aaron's rod representing truth not only became a, a snake, it actually consumed the snakes conjured by the magicians of Pharaoh, which were counterfeits of the truth. Through this interaction, God revealed to us that whatever the truth is presented, uh, inevitably a lie will shortly follow. This is true in life as people interact with one another and with the scriptures as well as Satan is busy trying to discredit God to the world by twisting biblical truth into a lie. Thankfully, because God is on the throne, in the end, truth always prevails. This week on the path uh, to deliverance, we will witness the Lord bring his might against the forces of evil as Moses and Aaron will be used by God to inflict the very first plague against Egypt in our message today titled Bloody Waters. Now let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this opportunity you've given us to gather in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in my heart over the week. And uh, Lord, you know, my wife and I have prayed over this message. And uh, God, my desire today is, Lord, that you would remove me from it. Uh, Lord, that I not in any way uh, say what I want to say, but Lord, exactly what you will guide me to say. Lord, I pray that uh, you will use me, God, that I will disappear. And that, Lord, the words we'll hear be, will be directly from you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. And I ask God that you'll bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter number seven, verse number 14. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Okay. Through addressing this and reassuring this, understand he's telling Moses and Aaron, look, I know this is what's taking place. Nothing's happening that I'm not aware of. There are no surprises here. He's simply saying, look, this is a part of my plan. And this is always true. Not only for, for Moses and for Aaron, but also for us as well. God always has a plan. Verse 15, Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, lo, he goeth out unto the water, that thou shalt stand by the river's brink, against, the, against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. God tells him, notice exactly where to go and exactly what to do. Extremely specific in detail, okay? Now, I want us to look at this. It talks about the river. I want to look at the river. Now, we know this river to be the river Nile. The River Nile, the world, the River Nile is the longest river on the world in the planet. It's 4,160 miles long. About a thousand miles of that river actually are inside of the Egyptian borders. This water, this river is so large, it moves 680,000 gallons of water per second. It is gigantic. It's 25 feet deep on average, and it's sometimes over a mile wide. This river is absolutely immense. I'm gonna show you guys some pictures that I actually have up here. Let's see, we got them coming up. Nope, not yet. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Current slides. The Nile River, uh, it's a source of life. There we go, There's a, that's kind of a picture of it in the background there. But we got some images that we're gonna pull up real fast. They're gonna show you kind of what it looks like. Because what's interesting about the Nile River is it literally is, it represents life. And the reason why it represents life is because as you'll see the images, if we do see the images, it's a desert, an unbelievable amount of desert, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of square miles of desert, absolute just sand, 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 sand. And as you look at, a, at an image from Google Earth, you'll notice there's this little green vein. And as you get closer and closer and closer, literally, I'm talking desert, 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 green, lush and green, and it follows the path right through Egypt. It literally is a source of life because they don't really have very much rainfall at all. And it is literally, without it, they would be in dire, dire need. Without rainfall, the people could not survive. So the Egyptians worshiped the god 
of the Nile River, okay? There are several different names for it. The name we're going to use today is Hopi. Hopi is the name. And Hopi was actually considered one to be the, one of the strongest gods in all of Egypt. It was actually considered a god that would actually bring life. It was the bringer of life and the creator was then the mindset of the Egyptians, okay? So it's not unusual, or it's not, un oh, there we go. So we kind of see from a distance, that is a really bad resolution, but anyway, you get an idea. This is all desert, right? And as we get closer, is there another one that's closer? We're gonna get closer, perhaps. Anywho, you get the idea, doesn't matter. Technical details. Anyhow, we're also gonna look at the rod, okay? So we have the Egyptian, we look at the Nile. The Nile's an important player in this story, but you also have the rod. You're gonna notice that he says, you're gonna take that rod, you're gonna hold it out over the water, okay? Remember, there is nothing special about the rod. It is just a stick. Remember earlier in our, in our message, he said, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. He says, just, it's just a stick. And he showed him how it can become a serpent. And now we're gonna see that same rod used, not for the fact that the rod has power, but it is used as a symbol for them to focus on. It's to help Moses and Aaron say, look, you got something to hold onto, okay? So none of the miracle working power comes from Moses, from, rod, from, from the rod, or from Aaron. None of that happens. It is nothing more than a functioning conduit for God to bring his power onto the earth. So the rod is not for God, right? The rod is for Aaron and for Moses. And if we equate that to for us, right? Something that maybe that's tangible that we can kind of hold on to that God created for us. I would use an example of prayer. Prayer is one of those things that's not created for God's use. It's created for us, right? God already knows. He already knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're gonna pray before you pray. So prayer is not designed for God. Prayer is designed for us. It becomes something tangible that we can hold on to. Man, I can pray out to God. I can call upon the power of the Lord. And we hear this, there's great power in prayer, and that is absolutely true. Amen. But more accurately, you would be say, there is power through prayer. Because the power is not in the prayer. The power comes from above, from God himself, right? When we pray by faith according to God's will, we access and release the mighty miracle working power of God on the earth. The greater the faith, the greater the power. Give you an example. There's a big water tower back here behind us, the Stallings Water Tower, right? Let's imagine that we went out to the water tower and I shimmied all the way up there and I poked a little hole in it and I hooked a hose to it, all right? And we brought that little hose, but let's say the hose is the width of a straw. We're gonna get just a limited amount of water coming out of there. Now, is there great force inside of that water tower? Are there thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons? Yeah, so the limiting factor is not the power source, but the size of the conduit that is coming through. So if I'm a person of little faith, guess what? I'm probably not getting a whole lot out per se. But as my faith increases, and as we put a garden hose on there, we get a little bit more water. And then we put a fire hose on there, we get a little bit more water. And if we put one of those big old culverts that goes underneath a driveway, man, I'm telling you, a lot of water would come out of there. The question is, what is our faith? Are we a straw? Are we a culvert? If your prayer life's not that effective, it's probably a lot to do with the fact that you don't really know God as well as you think you do. And the more you get to know him, the more your heart lines up with him, the more you'll see your prayers answered. And it's a conduit, a picture of it. James 1.17 says this, every good, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He says, look, this is a truth that will always be true. God's heart and God's desire is to bless his creation. He loves his creation. Guess what? You're his creation. He loves you. He loves you desperately. In Genesis 1.31, what does he say? After creation, he says, it is very good. Man, I look at my creation. This is very good. Very good, right? 
bottom line is the problem that we have traditionally is the fact that we don't necessarily link into God like we think we like we think we have the ability to because of our own disobedience. God's love is something that's evident in the world. We can look at it. God, John 3, 16. I mean, look at that. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say that he loved a certain certain number of people or certain individuals or certain race or certain sex. He loves everybody, right? God looks inside of us. He doesn't care what we look at. We're the ones that get hung up on our exterior. We are the ones that care about the, our sex or our race or whatever. That's stupid stuff that people get hung up on. But bottom line is God sees us all the same, created in his image for perfection. He sees something beautiful in us. And what happens is our own dis disobedience is the issue. James 4, 3 says, You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it of your own lusts. Our prayer life is ineffective because so many times when we pray, we pray selfishly. I pray with an expectation of what I want. Not what God wants. And so many times I want things to go the way that I want them to go. And I take a, uh, an agenda with me to God. Lord, you know what? I got this prayer. And uh, I already know how it's going to work out, just so you know. I got the end. I, I've already seen it. I got it all worked out. So if you'll follow my plan, it'll be great. Because I've already got it laid out. And when you hit that thing, I'll be like, man, God answers prayer. Right? But what if God's plans are different? Many times they are because God doesn't think the way we think. And sometimes we think that our prayers are not answered. We get frustrated at God when God says, I'm answering prayer, but just not the way you want me to. Because I understand what you need, not what you think you need. So bottom line is God helps us in our prayers. When we pray by faith, living according to God's will and are obedient, God opens the windows of heaven to bless his people. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. It says, be faithful, be obedient. That's what it's saying. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now, wherewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's a heart of God saying, man, I want to bless you. Give me a reason to bless you. I want to pour out upon you. I want to care for you. I want to bless you. I want to comfort you. I want to be there for you. Connect to me. Understand me, right? If we'll do our part, God always does his part. That's a consistent part of who he is. God is always consistent. And what we find is the fact that there's aspects of, there's two aspects of it. There's faithfulness and there's fruitfulness. Faithfulness, bottom line is that's up to us. Faithfulness means, you know what? I'm doing what God's called me to do. And if I'm faithful to do my part, God is always going to bless and be fruitful on the other side. When we planted this church, guys, we did not have any experience ever planting a church at all. I had never pastored a church before. I had worked as an assistant. I'd never done this before. So we didn't know. We were like, you know what? But God said, look, you're going to do this. And we were like, okay. And as we started to, to be faithful, God started opening doors and opening doors and opening doors. And I'm talking about the windows of heaven opening up and just going, boom, to where you were just like, what in the world? If you've not heard the stories of how God planted this church, it is absolutely like walking the Bible. It was incredible. And it has continued to be. We're almost two years old, you know, and this place is full of folks that love Jesus. And it's like it was an old bank sitting here abandoned for years. It's faithful. We're faithful. God handles the fruitful. And then now God gets a lot more specific here in our directions. In verse number 16, he says, And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. Behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Okay, we see in this, in this one verse, we're going to see an entire prophetic message in this one verse. I want you to pay attention to what it says. It said, The Lord God of the Hebrews, talking about God, hath sent me, remember? Remember that Moses is a picture of Christ, right? Hath sent me, and it says to free humanity, right? Let my people go. 
Let them go from Egypt, which we know is a picture of the world and a picture of sin, right? So he's saying, God has sent me to bring the world out of sin. Huh. And why does he do that? What's that verse say? It says, that they may serve me. Jesus Christ came to save this world, to save us out of sin, to give us an opportunity that we might serve him. It's not about serving self. It's not about personal fulfillment. And that's what the world has told us that it is for so long. We believe it's all about this self-satisfaction. When we feed ourselves and continually focus upon ourselves, we go against what we were created to do and what we were created to be. It does not fulfill and it never will fulfill, ever. Not until we realize the fact that God created us for a very special peace and a very special love and a very special sense of purpose that cannot be beat in this world. No matter how much somebody may accumulate on this planet, it will never, ever match what a Christian who's following God can feel. It cannot even come close. And you know why it's interesting and why people are so intrigued by religion? It's because they are searching desperately for an answer. They're looking and they're looking and they're looking and they will not find it in the world. Verse 17, thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand. Notice this. This is God talking. He says that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. First person. He says first person. This is showing us God is literally using Moses and Aaron as an extension of himself. He's literally talking as if they are him. It is not a coincidence that the very first plague that God will bring against them reveals the power of God over Hopi, this Nile God. By turning the water of the Nile into blood, he is declaring a message of his absolute authority and the true identity as the one true God, saying, I am the Lord. Verse 18, And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. So what used to bring life is now going to deliver death. Complete change. Understand, the Egyptian people, fish, represented this to them. Joy, happiness, and prosperity. So by the fact of these fish dying and rolling up to the surface, right? Amazingly, think about the fact that when this takes place, this is going to be attacking their mainstay of their diet. This was the main thing of what they would eat, of the, of the protein they received. This was pretty much it. So this rich bounty from the, from the Nile is now gone. So it's not only an attack upon their God, it's an attack upon their water source, it's an attack upon their food, it's an attack upon their entire culture because their culture was built around the Nile. This was believed to be the ultimate source of power, the ultimate source of respect. The, 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 what made Egypt special was the Nile River. Understanding the importance of the Nile to every part of the Egyptian life, it allows us to start to realize how big of an impact this moment would have. A lot of times we hear it and we're like, that's not that big a deal. Understand everything for them was focused upon this river. If you look at them, when you go back to that picture and you look at that image of the desert, they could walk and walk and walk and all of a sudden be in the desert, standing, looking at barren desert. I'm talking for 5,000, 6,000 miles. There's nothing. And they can turn around behind them and see lush, green trees and farmland and animals and birds and walk into that lush, amazing green place. And it would always go back to the same thing that river. That river was the focus of everything. So now this starts to take place. Verse number 19. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, 
uh, spoke unto Moses, saying, uh, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, unto their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they became blood, that they become blood, and that there be, may, may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So all the water that came from the source of the Nile, no matter if they collected it in a bowl or collected it in a pot, it's all going to turn into blood. Okay. Notice also that it talks about the fact that it's within the borders of Egypt. It says here, throughout all the land of Egypt. Based upon what I understand in the Bible, which is pretty straightforward, and he says it again and again and again, it's very spoke, focused on Egypt. This, this river is 3,100 miles. There's 3,100 miles of this river that are not in Egypt. That would mean if you were outside of the country and you walked up to the Egyptian border, it would be water, 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 blood. And you go to the other end of the country, and as you walked out, water, 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 or blood, 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 water. Imagine that. So literally, if they needed water, all they had to do was leave Egypt. Get out, right? But it's a picture of the world, and death is resting upon them in this moment. God clearly said that it was Egypt, so that Egypt would believe. And back in Exodus 7, verses 5, verse 5, it says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt, bring out the children of Israel among them. And Moses and Aaron, verse number 20, did so as the Lord commanded. Okay? So what happens? If they did what the Lord commanded, it doesn't cover it here. But basically, that would have mean they would have gone and did exactly what God said, which was, hey, we, we asked for the people to be let go. They make their profession. They call out to him. He does not respond. It says, And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. Okay? So Moses and Aaron are obediently standing here in the river, right? They're standing at the bank. They're looking, watching Pharaoh as he comes along. They call out to him. They say, Hey, you know what? Let our people go. He's like, Hey, get out of here. Forget it. Not going to happen. Right? And he goes, Okay. And he smites the water with the stick. Boom. Now, I have a picture. I don't know if this picture is going to come up either. Ah, there you go. This is actually, this was found in an Egyptian tomb. This boat is over 4,000 years old. This was one of a pharaoh, one of the pharaoh's boats that would have been on the river. So I want you to imagine if you're on this boat, right, and you're surrounded by your fancy, fancy, whatever it is they got, drapery and your foods and your little stuff, and you've got all your little slaves on there, and you've got all these people that are there to support you, right? And you're riding along the water. This is Pharaoh. And you're looking out on the water as you're riding along, and they're fanning you, and you're eating grapes or whatever they did, you know, <laughs> snacking along. And, uh, and as he looks out on the water, he sees Moses and Aaron on the riverbank. <sighs> these pesky Israelites. Let our people go. Oh, my gosh, the whining again. Come on, boys. Give it up. It ain't going to happen. Right? He's thinking this. Hey, look, these people have been my slaves since I've been in existence. Since I've been alive, they've been our slaves. I'm not changing things. They're going to stay exactly where they are. No, I'm not letting anybody go. And then all of a sudden he sees them strike the water. Right? Now, and remember, this Pharaoh would have believed he was a god. He's on the ultimate symbol of strength and the pride of his nation, the Nile River. Right? And when that thing gets slapped... And it goes from bubbling, beautiful blue water into bubbly, thick red blood in an instant. Can you imagine the shock that you would have experienced if you were him? Unreal, man. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So his whole arrogance might have been knocked down a little bit, but bottom line is it does not change his mind. 
Verse number 21, And the fish that was in the river, just like God said, they died. And the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Notice again, it's specific to Egypt. Now, by now, screaming and yelling would have been heard. Because I can guarantee you there were people out gathering water or fishing or bathing. Can you imagine that one? You're out there, la li da la 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 Honey, pass me the soup. <laughs> what the, what the? Right? So everybody's freaking out, man. They have no idea. They, now understand, they don't know the conversations are going on between Moses and Aaron and, and, and Pharaoh. They don't have any clue. So all they know is that their river, which has been the source of all life, which has been their whole thing, has now just turned into a giant river of blood. And they see the fish floating to the surface and people are going nuts, right? So this thing is absolutely amazing. So it would be an amazing and incredible amount of fear resting upon all of Egypt at this point. And as I said, they would have no idea why their source of life is now turned into a picture of death. Today, people all over our planet, right, they believe that the source of all life, that all prosperity and all happiness comes from a secular world. They believe they're going to find it outside, not in church, not through God, but through the world. That life formed on its own, and we're the center of the universe. That our existence is a matter of finding that ever-elusive happiness with our bucket lists, right? and our, our self-satisfaction, and our desire to fulfill our appetites and our pleasures. The idea that achievement is whoever dies with the most toys wins. These things are a lie. Seeing prosperity and fulfillment of fleshly desires. We are just like the Egyptians putting all of their faith in a river. They worship the Nile just like today. People worship materialism. People are drunk with this world. They watch Instagram, and they watch Facebook, and they watch every... On the, you can watch on your phone and see all these lives of these people that are so much better than yours. Man, look how happy they are. Look where they're having fun. Look at that car. Man, oh man. Who would have thought you could do that to tennis shoes? That's amazing. Wow. That food looks... I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. The food gets me. I like to eat, man. I'm like, I'm like, dude, look at that. We were just talking about a meatloaf that's got baby bells inside of it, then closed up and wrapped with bacon. I mean, hello. I'm like, man, <laughs> that, looks, that looks pretty good. <laughs> and you can start to get caught up in that stuff and start to be like, man, you know what? That's, that is pretty awesome. I would like to have that. I would like to live that life, man. That's pretty awesome. And what happens is we get out of a spiritual thinking. We start thinking earthly, and we start getting that materialistic mindset. It's not only... Uh, uh, it's not until they come to the realization that the, that, that the very thought, what they thought, led them to life is actually the pathway to death that people can actually come to understand who God is. That's what happened to us. If you got saved, there was a point in time in your life when you realized that this world was not the answer. Maybe the world had chewed you up and spit you out. Maybe you had experiences that kicked you in the gut, man. Maybe you felt broken. Maybe you felt dissatisfied or frustrated or hurt, whatever it was. And you can search and search and search and search in this world and find yourself more empty than when you started. And when you come to the realization that what you thought was life is actually death, then you say, there's got to be something else. Got to be something else. And that's when God says, you know what? I've been here the whole time calling out to you. Just listen. The very source of life, which is this world and all of its wisdom, are actually the source of death. 
Romans 6, 21 and 23 says this, What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? When Paul's talking about it, he says, look, he says, what fruit? He says, what did you gain from the world that you sought so hard to live in? And you realize at the end of it, now you're ashamed of the life you lived. The lived. You're constantly trying to gain for self. It says, for the end of those things is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Trusting in the world is trusting in the river, which leads to death. Mark 8, 36 says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's a lie, man. It's a lie. It's a false God designed to deceive us, designed to draw us away from the truth. Satan has hidden the truth of God behind false religion, prejudicial scientific evidence. I say prejudicial because you know what? They come into the mindset. One of the laws in science says that you cannot take into consideration the supernatural. That's a prejudice, man, because God is supernatural. And if you can't see that, then you can't see God. And fleshly societal pressures. Our society around us has got all kinds of things that are not godly, and it's trying very hard to force us into a box that does not match what God has for us. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 20 says this, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Consider that. Let no man deceive himself. Don't be tricked. If any man among you seemeth to be wise, if he has great wisdom of this world, let him become a fool to the world that he may actually truly be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness means their craftiness. That's their creativity, man. And the fact is that they've created this truth that they believe so much that now they believe it themselves. They're sold out, man. And God says, you know what? I'll allow you to believe that if you want to. I'll still call you, but if you want to trust and believe that, you can. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain, arrogant. You ever talk to somebody who thinks they know better than you? You talk about God and they're like, oh, give me a break. You've got to have that crutch in your life. Vain, arrogant. God knows us about them. God has come to reveal the truth of who he is to the world. Exodus 7, 5. We remember it says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon the Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Remember that Egypt is a picture of the world, right? Okay, so if we go back to that verse, so that actually means this verse would actually say, if we were to switch in, to switch it, it would say, And the world shall know that I am the Lord. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And if Egypt is a picture of the world, then the world shall know that I am the Lord. Through the Exodus and that story, man, God's revealed himself to this world. In our story, he's using Moses and Aaron. But today he needs to use us. As believers, the responsibility falls upon us. God's asking them to be faithful and he's asking the same thing of us today. Because the same message needs to be told. That God loves this world. That God wants to bless this world. That God wants to use this world for His glory. And you're not created for self. You're created for Him. We must be willing to risk ourselves in order to tell the truth to this world. Remember back in verse 15. It says, Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out into the water, that thou shalt stand by the river's brink. Do you think it's by accident God says, Against? Stands against. Against he come. He's going with the current. 
And I need you to stand against the current. This world is a current of evil that's running this way. And if you lift your feet, you can float right along with them. But God's saying, I need you to stand up. I need you to stand up. Face the current. Moses and Aaron stood against the river to face Pharaoh. The current of the river was carrying Pharaoh along, but God wants us to stand against the current of this world to share the truth. In order to do this, we have to fight the influence of our culture to stand for God. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 say this, that we henceforth, being from now on, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Doctrine means a, a, a teaching talking about false doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up, uh, grow up into him, which is talking about Christ in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Cunning craftiness and the slight of men. There are people that are trying to trick us right now. There are false religions around us right now. There are people in our culture, on the news media, wherever else it is. And if you're not gaining your truth from here, you are going to get the false. You're going to get lied to. And if I tell you something, you know what, I'm trying to back it up with Scripture, but you need to check what I tell you. Because I'm a man, and I'll make mistakes, man. I will drop the ball. If I haven't failed you yet, I will fail you one day. Be ready. But bottom line is, God will never fail us. This book will never fail us. We can see our mission as clearly as Moses and Aaron could see theirs. But our enemy will not go down without a fight. We're in a spiritual battle with the, most, uh, the highest of stakes which is the souls of men and women and boys and girls that are believing a lie. They're being deceived all around us. And we have to have a heart for them. We have to care. It says in verse 22, And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. That means they were able to do the same thing. They took what water they had, rainwater, whatever they had, and they were able to make it turn into blood. Okay? Satan cannot notice they don't clean the water. They didn't go, oh, we got it, we got it, no problem. Let's fix this river. Nope. They can mimic only the destruction. The power afforded to these, these workers of the dark arts is limited to bringing destruction. They are only, their only goal here is to steal respect from God and try to bring confusion to a clear declaration of authority. Satan's tactics of distraction work upon the frailties of humanity, and they work right here against Pharaoh. Verse number 23, And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. Satan still has a hold on Pharaoh. And I want you to understand, yes, Egypt, yes, bottom line is these people, they've got issues and problems, but Pharaoh, he's a picture of Satan. There's no doubt about it. That's a fact. We know that. But he's also a real human being. He's a man that's under the influence of evil. And he's unwilling to hear, right? And there are people in the world today that are unwilling to to hear. And we can't force them to hear. I can't make someone listen to the gospel no matter how badly I might want it for them. You can cry over them and you can beg them, but bottom line is God's the one that will break through. And the one thing we can do is we can be consistent in showing love, showing compassion, showing care. Let your life reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the love of God shine out of your life, your attitude, the things you do, the things you say, the way you walk, every part about who you are. Let it proclaim the gospel because that's what breaks through to people. God's the one that's got the responsibility of breaking into their heart if they'll let them.
But you and I, our responsibility is to be faithful, just like Moses and Aaron. Be faithful. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, we said, right? Our world is full of people that refuse to see the truth. And verse number 24, And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for, what to drink, for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. Okay? So now what happens, the Egyptians have become so desperate and so scared and so freaked out, they're going around, they're digging around the river trying to find water, and all they're finding is blood. They're desperate. The Egyptians, the Egyptian people don't know that turning to God is even an option at this point. They are caught up in their circumstances. They are searching for answers from their troubles. The problem is they're not looking in the right place. They're looking in the wrong place. They've gone back to the river to find solutions that aren't there. Remember back in the story of Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well? Remember what he said to her in John 4, 13 and 14? He says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. For the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. They are going to the source of death to try to find life. They're digging with effort and energy. They're pouring their focus and they're looking as hard as they possibly can. And you know what? People in our world today, they are searching the world, man. They're searching the world for solutions. Hinduism, materialism, Buddhism, humanism, Islam. People are looking, looking, looking. Even Oprah, right? Wherever they got to go. And they're willing to listen to whatever because they are desperate. These people are desperate for water and they're digging around the source of death. People are digging in this world the source of death, looking for answers, and they will find no answers. They will find more death. Amen. It's not until they come to the realization that there is an answer which is God. They true the truth, the real truth, the real peace, the real life can only be found through the living God. Amen. Through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can profess that to the world. But Satan is going to be very, very, very busy trying to confuse the matter. We notice every time the truth is revealed, he brings a lie. The magicians are hard at work trying to discredit God. So we have a battle on our hands, without a doubt. It is a spiritual war. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, man. Are we defeated by the world? No. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Victory, man. Victory. But we walk around this life like we're defeated. We walk around beaten down because the world is so, there's so many of them, there's so many of them, there's so many of them. Who cares? Moses and Aaron were two men standing against an entire kingdom. Their own people didn't support them at this point. Millions of them didn't support them. Pharaoh didn't support them. Nobody supported them. Yet they still stood against the current of the river and they still held that stick out. And they did what they were called to do. And so many of us sit back Expecting someone else to do it. Well, someone will show up. Someone's bound to step up. When somebody does, amazingly, in the Christian circles, we try to tear that person down. Unbelievable. But God's looking for just one to say, you know what? I'll stand. I'll stand, man. I will stand. And seven days were filled after that. The Lord had smitten the river. Time is running out, man. The river of this world, as we speak, is pulling millions of people downstream 
to destruction. They're all around us, everywhere, hurting people. They are searching for life amongst the dead. Like the Egyptians, they've gone to the river to labor, labor for solutions that are not there. It's time we stand against the current, cry out to the lost and the broken and the hurting and let them know that there is hope. It's not by accident that God named this church Hope. We didn't pick the name. We had nothing to do with picking the name. God, when I saw the building, when I looked across and saw the building, and God said, that's the church, this is the name, that's the logo, it was like boom, boom, boom. Okay. It was amazing, man. Hope. It's what the world needs. And there's hope in Jesus Christ, man. There's hope for anybody, no matter how broken they may be. No matter how far their life is shattered and no matter how many pieces it's in and how far those pieces are scattered around the world, God can culminate all those little pieces no matter where they are, every last grain of it and restore them back better than they were before and make them more beautiful and more, more, more fulfilled than they've ever been. And it's amazing. We walk around defeated because you know what? We're outnumbered. Who cares? Because God is in control. And he's looking for us to be obedient. Because remember the conduit? How much, what are we? Are we a straw? Are we a hose? Are we a fire hose? What are we? Let's pray the power of God down on this earth. You have somebody you're lost, that someone's lost. Pray with faith, believing that God's going to save them. Let God do the work, man. Don't pray going, you know what, gosh, it'd be great if you'd work it out, Lord. But, you know, I don't know. It's probably not going to work out. And if it did work out, I mean, it would probably not be that. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, but if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But, you know. Probably not going to happen, just saying. But you, I mean, you already know, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but okay. Hope it happens. Let's see what happens. How many of us pray like that? In the back of our mind, we convince ourselves of a truth that's not accurate. God can do anything. God can do anything. I don't care what it is, man. And the miracles we're going to witness as we read through the book of Exodus, they're things that should be impossible, yet God easily does them just like that. And the things you're praying for, God can answer them just like that. Because guess what? The waters of this world that appear today to be the clear answer to all their troubles and needs will inevitably fail them as they will turn to bloody waters. It's just a matter of time. We need to have compassion for the lost. Compassion for your neighbor, for your coworker, for your family members. Care for them. That means you have a track with you. You're ready to share with them. You're willing to invite them to church. You're willing to have an uncomfortable moment, an awkward moment of conversation because it's worth risking because you care. God's looking for people to stand against the current of our culture and protect these people because he's willing to save any who will come. But you know what he's waiting on? Us to open our mouths. Are we going to stand? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. Thank you for our message, God. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to hear from you. And Lord, know that, uh, God, you know what's taking place, just like you did with Moses and Aaron. You know every aspect of what was going on. And Lord, you asked them to be obedient. And Lord, you asked the same thing of us today. Help us, Lord, to search our hearts to find the weaknesses that we have, our fears that are stopping us, our justifications that we fall back on. Lord, help us to look within ourselves and say, you know what, God, I'm willing to stand and doing all to stand. Lord, I pray that, Father, you help us as a congregation, Lord, to take it as a mission that we might share the truth of your love through our lives, through our actions, our attitudes, and through our words, Lord, that we might share love with this world. God, they are desperate for it. They are searching in a dead place, 
to find life, and it will never fulfill them. God, you have a purpose and a plan for each of us here, and you've called us here for this purpose. I would ask, God, that you'll empower us now that we might stand for the truth. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? God spoke to me through this message. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in the air as a testament to God. If God spoke to you today, lift your hand high in the air. Do not be ashamed if God spoke to you today. Lift your hand if God spoke to your heart in the message today. Praise the Lord. You put your hands down. If you're here today and you say, you know what? Pastor, I want to I wanna, I wanna do that. I want to be a part of what God's doing, but I don't even know that I know God that well. I, I have an understanding of religion. I believe in God, no doubt about it. Guys, there was a time in my life that if you would asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said, sure, I believe in God. But the devil himself believes in God. He doesn't doubt his existence. I didn't doubt God's existence. I just didn't know anything about him. And I sure didn't have a personal relationship with him. My life reflected that I did not have a relationship with God. But I'm telling you, it was a matter of a moment. I had to make a choice in my life to receive the truth of God's word. He said that he died for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him for me, for you. He came for a purpose to save you from your sin. If you've never received Christ, if you've done it through religion, if you've done it through, through your pride, whatever it is, it's a matter of humbling yourself before God and saying, look, I know on my own I am in deep trouble. I have no chance, no redemption. I know you are the answer and I'm trusting you, Lord, with my whole heart. Change me, Lord. Save me. Save me from myself and give me a home in heaven one day because you love me. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I have never received Christ. I may have believed I have. I may have religion, whatever you've got. There was a moment in your life, if you are saved, there's a moment in your life where you know for a fact that you made a decision to receive Christ as your Savior. Mine was August 11th, 2001, about 1030 at night. I remember exactly where I was. And if you do not know and you go, you know what, I'm just trusting my religion, don't trust your religion. You need to know for yourself because God has given you a promise that you will be born again. And he loves you in this moment. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you've never done this, if you've never truly saved, you have religion, but you don't have Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It doesn't take anything special. It's between you and him. If you're on the Internet, wherever you are, you can pray this prayer right where you're seated, in your heart and in your mind, and receive the greatest gift ever given, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to lead you in prayer, and I ask you to repeat this prayer, not with your mind, but with your heart. If you truly want to receive Christ and you mean it, God will save you. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong, for all those that I've hurt and the times that I've let you down. I'm asking you today to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you, and I'm so thankful that you love me. I will see you in heaven one day, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.